Amen. All right, well, we're there in Romans chapter number 13. And of course, this morning we are continuing a series entitled Mixing Politics and Religion. And we've been looking at this idea of government and politics through the lens of Scripture. And this has not been, as I've said uh, every week up to this point, and I'll continue to say this has not uh, been a series endorsing any any uh, political candidate or anything like that. The only reason we're even doing this series, though, is because with the election uh, coming up, we all are kind of thinking about politics and thinking about these things. And I think it's good for us to understand biblically uh, what we believe or how we should believe uh, regarding uh, these these matters. So, of course, this is the third week, and if you have missed the last couple of weeks, I'd encourage you to check those out. You can find those on our website. You can find it on our YouTube channel. Uh, this morning, I'm preaching on the subject of Christian civil disobedience. I'm going to be talking about when we should disobey the government, when we should not disobey the government. And honestly, in order to teach that concept, I kind of have to lay a foundation of government uh, in general. So this morning, uh, I'm preaching on Christian civil disobedience, but I'm really going to give you re- kind of a theology of government. And what I mean by that is it, it's going to be a very doctrinal sermon in the sense of what is it that the Bible teaches about government. Uh, I usually like to have nice, alliterated, catchy uh, uh, outlines for you. I, I don't necessarily have that. I, I have five statements that I'm going to encourage you to write down. And this will just kind of give you an idea because when it comes to how we deal with government, we need to understand, you know, what does the Bible even teach about government? What, what is it that the Bible says about government? So uh, we'll talk about Christian civil disobedience. That's the main focus, but we need to begin by just giving you a theology of government. Of government. So I want to give you five statements, and I encourage you to write these down. Uh, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down notes. And, of course, we're always encouraging you to take notes while, uh, while during the, the, the service. Of course, if you have a baby on your lap or something like that, we understand. Um, let me give you five statements, and I'll, be, I'll go ahead and give you uh, statement number one. Statement one is this, that God ordained government. God ordained uh, government. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, the Bible says this, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. And the higher powers there is referring to uh, government authorities, and that's clear from the context. Notice what he says. He says, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. The Bible says that there is no power There is no governmental authority without it being checked um, or given its authority uh, by God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Notice verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. So the first idea that we need to understand is that God is the one that ordained uh, government. So please understand this. We are not anarchists. We do not take this position that we just resist government, you know, and and today in many of our types of circles around conservative Christianity, you do have this anarchist philosophy that just by default we're against the government. You know, whatever the government says, we're against it, and we don't want to comply with it, and we want to protest against it, and nothing the government does is right. Now, look, I understand that when we live in, in, a, in a society like the one we live in, it's very frustrating to see government. I see, and I understand that government does many things that we don't agree with. We understand that. But in general, we need to understand that God did ordain government. The Bible says that the powers that be, that, that, that there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. And if we resist the power, we resist the ordinance of God. The word ordain or ordinance means to give order or to give authority. In the same way that we might ordain a pastor or ordain a deacon or ordain an evangelist. What are we doing when we do that? We are giving that individual the authority to go start a church, to go pastor a church, to go do a ministry. Well, the Bible says that God ordained, the powers that be are ordained of God. Now, you, you say, well, how do we you know, uh, correlate that when you have evil governments? And we're actually going to talk about that, not next week, but the week after that. I'm going to be preaching a sermon called The Rulers of the Darkness of This World, and we're going to correlate this idea between God's ordaining of government and, uh, you know, wicked people in high places, and I would encourage you to join us for that. But I want you to understand that God ordained government. And all governments are ordained by God, and, and they're, they're filled. And what I mean by that is this. There's no government that ever rose up that what God was like, oh, man, you know, that one caught me off guard. 
You know, Hitler got away from us there. I didn't, I didn't want him to be in power. All, ordinate, all powers are ordained of God, the Bible says. And to kind of help you understand this idea, keep your place right there in Romans. We're going to come right back to it. But go to the book of Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 17, you just flip back one book. And like I said, this is going to be a theology type message. So um, we're going to flip to a lot of passages. I hope you're ready. hope you came to church ready to uh, learn the Bible and understand the Bible and, and, and be taught from the Bible. Go to Acts 17. But let me just say this. God instituted or God created three institutions. He created the family. And I won't take the, take the time. You can study this out on your own. He created the family. You can learn about that in the beginning books of uh, chapters of the book of Genesis. He created the church. And of course, you can study that in the New Testament. And he created government. These are three institutions that God created. The family, the church, and the government. So government, God ordained uh, government. Are you there in Acts 17? Look at verse 24. Acts chapter 17 and verse 24, the Bible says this, God, this is of course the Apostle Paul, and he is speaking on Mars Hill. He's preaching a sermon uh, to these uh, very superstitious uh, Gentiles, and he has just noticed that they have a sacrifice to all these gods, and then they have a sacrifice to the unknown God, uh, just in case they missed one, the God that they don't know. And then Paul says, you know what, there's only one God, let me introduce you to him, the unknown God that you don't know. Acts 17, 24, this is what Paul is doing in this sermon. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. And I want you to notice that. The Bible says that God is Lord of heaven and earth. We're not going to look at it uh, this week, but we'll look at it in a couple weeks. In the book of Daniel, the Bible says that the heavens do rule, that the heavens are Lord over the uh, things that happen here on earth, that he is Lord of heaven and earth. Notice, dwelleth not temples made with hands, verse 25, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Notice verse 26, and hath. Now, this is God we're talking about. That's the context from verse 24. God that had made the worlds and all things therein. In verse 26, the Bible says, God and, and hath made, notice, of one blood all nations. So notice, the Bible says that God created nations, but it's interesting here that he says that he made them all of one blood. So every, every, all of human population can be traced back to Noah, really, coming off the ark, and back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And I want you to notice what the Bible says. The Bible is telling us here that God is the one who created nations. Notice, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the earth, uh, on, on all the face of the earth. Notice, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So here we're told that God created all nations, and God, it says, all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. Every nation on this earth, God ordained it. God created it. And hath determined the times before appointed. Not only did God create the nations, He determined when those nations would rise and when those nations would fall. The Bible says, promotion cometh neither from the north, uh, neither from the east or from the west or from the south, uh, but God is the judge. He raiseth up one and set it down another. And a clear picture of this, and again, we're not going to look at this this morning, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks, but a clear picture of this is the story of Daniel. Remember Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he saw an image and nobody could tell him the dream, and nobody could interpret it. Daniel was able to do it, and Daniel interpreted this dream, and Daniel explained to Nebuchadnezzar that he saw this image, and this image represented the nations and the governments, the powers that would rise and fall upon the earth. And of course, you had the head of gold, and that rep, uh, 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 represented Nebuchadnezzar and the empire of Babylon. Then you had the, the breast and the arms, and that represented the Medo-Persian Empire. Then you had the midsection, and that represented uh, Alexander the Great and, and Greece rising up in power. Then you had the legs, and that represented the Roman Empire. Then you had the feet, 
which would represent the uh, future coming kingdom of the Antichrist. But in that image, uh, God told Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and the rest of us through his word, he predicted and told us these are the governments, these are the nations, these are the empires that will rise and fall. And I want you to understand this, that God is the God, is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he even uh, resides over the geopolitical world structure. It is God who ordains governments. It is God who allows governments to rise and governments to fall. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And notice verse 26. He hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed, when they will rise, when they will fall, and the bounds of their habitation. He's the one that decided that the United States of America would be where the United States of America is. He's the one that decided that China will be where China is. He's the one that decided the bounds of their habitation. See, the governments and the nations, whether we understand it or not, are ordained of God. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. I'll give you another example. If you remember when Jesus was meeting with Pilate, and Pilate said to Jesus, I have the power to let you go and to make you free. And Jesus responds, you have no power but the power that God has given you. Why? Because of the fact that it is God that has ordained government. So we must understand this. God ordained government. And, and, and I'm not preaching about this this uh, morning, but I just want you to notice there in verse 26, it says that God ordained nations, not races. In fact, the concept of races, as far as, you know, black, white, Hispanic, that's not a concept found in Scripture. That's not a concept taught in Scripture. You know, the only race you find in the Bible is like running the race, the race that is set before us. Other than that, this concept of, oh, well, I'm black, and uh, you're white, and, you know, I guess I'm brown, I don't know, you know, whatever, whatever that, that, that concept, you can use that terminology, but just understand this, that is not a biblical terminology. He hath made of one blood all nations. All nations have the same blood that goes back to Adam and Eve. God did not create races, but God did create nations and the bounds of their habitations and had determined the times before appointed. So God is the God over the geopolitical world structure of our day. Go back to Romans chapter 13, if you would. Romans 13, just flip over to Romans and keep your place in Romans because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it throughout the sermon. I said number one this morning, God ordained government. God ordained government. And you say, well, what about evil governments? Just hang with me. Next week, I'm going to preach a sermon about the Supreme Court, all right? <laughs> and then the week after that, we're going to look at the rulers of the darkness of this world. So just hang with me. We'll learn all this together. God ordained government. Here's statement number two. Government has a biblical purpose. Government has a biblical purpose. You say, what is the biblical purpose of government? Let me show it to you. Two things. Romans 13, verse 3. For rulers... Now, the word rulers there is referring to political leaders. For rulers are not a terror to good works. Now, please understand this. Paul is speaking here in regards to the government structure in general. We're not specifically talking about any specific government. And he's referring to as to this is how government should work. When God ordained government, here's how he ordained it to work. So don't try to fit the United States of America into Romans chapter 13. Don't try to fit, you know, Mussolini's Italy into Romans 13. This is more of a pattern, a, a, a blueprint. This is how it should work. Romans 13, verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Here's what he's saying. This is how it should be. And by the way, for the most governments that have ruled upon this, this world, this is generally how it is. Rulers are not necessarily a terror to good works. Here's, here's what it means. If, if you're just a good person, citizen, just trying to live your life and do what you're supposed to do, for the most part, rulers are not just going to be attacking you and terrorizing you. He says, for rulers are not, the ter- are not a terror to good works, but to evil. He says, wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? He says, do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, we should fear government in the sense that it's there to protect 
the people, and it's there to punish the evildoer. I'm going to show it to you in the text. You say, what is the biblical purpose of government? To protect and to punish. To protect the people, to punish the evildoer. He says, look, you don't have anything to be afraid of if you're not a criminal. You don't have anything to be afraid of if you're not doing bad things. He says, for, the, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not uh, be afraid of the power? And again, this is in general, government in general, this is how it should be. Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. He says, look, if you do good things, your, gov- your government shouldn't uh, hurt you. It shouldn't uh, affect you. In fact, it'll praise you. It, it, that's the type of citizens that a government should want to have. Notice verse 4. 4. Now, the word for there means because. He, the word he there is in reference to the representative of government, government representative. Notice it says, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. So notice again, God ordained government, and here we're even told that he is the minister of God to thee for good. Because you say, why? Because the biblical purpose of government, and when government does what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to do is protect the people. They're also supposed to punish evildoers. Notice verse 3 again. For the rulers are not a terror to good works. Notice these words. But to the evil. So they shouldn't bring terror to people doing good works, but they should bring terror to those who do evil. But to the evil. Notice verse 4. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But, here's the contrast. If thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So, according to the Bible, what is the biblical purpose of government? It is, number one, to protect the people. And then it is, number two, to punish the, the evildoer. Who is, whose job is it to carry out punishment for those who uh, break the law, for those who do evil. The word evil means to hurt. For those who hurt other people, it is the government's job. It says that if thou, uh, 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 but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute the wrath upon him that doeth evil. And I just want to make this point, and I'll come back to it later in the sermon. It is not your job, and it is not my job to do the government's job and to carry out vengeance, it is the job of government. Biblically speaking, the purpose of government is to protect the people and to punish the evildoer. That's it. Protect the people and punish the evildoer. Now, I realize that our governments and our government has overextended itself. They have extracurricular governmental activities that God never ordained them. Uh, but, but there are a couple of things that God said government is there to do. It's there to protect the people and it's there to punish evildoers. Now, look, it doesn't say it's there to set up a public school educational system. It doesn't say it's there to set up a welfare program. It doesn't say it's there to set up a government health care program. It doesn't say that it's there to set up all these extra government regulations, structure systems that are there. You say, biblically speaking, what is the government supposed to do? It's supposed to protect the people, and it's supposed to punish evildoers. That's it. And by the way, let me just say this. As a Bible-believing Christian, this is why my wife and I have done everything in our power to have as little to do with our government as possible, uh, uh, you know, as far as them being our life. This is why we don't use their public school system, because God did not ordain a public school system. God ordained a mom and dad to raise their kids and educate their kids. You know, this is why we don't we, 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 we try to reject as much of those things as possible. Obviously, there's some things we cannot reject, but the purpose of government is to protect the people, is to punish the evildoer. And look, I would just, I would just please understand this. If I were you, and I realize sometimes people have needs and things like that, but if I were you, I would get out. I would get out of as many government systems, programs, welfare things as you are able to, because those things come with a price. When you let them into your home, look, the government doesn't give you money just because they're nice. They give you money so they can put their foot in the door and, and control you and mandate you and cause you to do certain things. So look, 
The biblical purpose of government is to protect people and, 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 and punish people. My, my goal in, in life and, and, you know, is that I, I think up to this point, my, my, wife and I, my wife and I have six kids. My wife can tell me if I'm uh, incorrect about this, but my wife and I have six kids. My oldest is 13. Our youngest is two. And I think really the only government institution that they've, you know, have like some sort of a membership or card or where they're known is the public library, you know, and forgive us for sinning and, um, you know, promoting the public library. We do use the public library. That's not really a government, uh, biblical purpose for the government either, but, you know, uh, we'll, we'll have to get that right with God, I guess. Um, protect the people and punish the evildoers. That is the purpose of uh, government. Go to, back to Romans chapter 13. Oh, you're there in Romans 13. Look at verse 1. I'm sorry. So it's at number 1. God, and we're going to keep going to the library. Okay, I'm just kidding. It's not a perfect state we live in. God ordained government. Government has a biblical purpose. I have to say that. Sometimes I make jokes and then people take it to an extreme. You know what I mean? And there's these YouTube videos about how like the public library is wicked or whatever. Okay, I just, I'm joking. Sometimes people don't get when I'm joking. My, I'm not funny. I get it. But, um, you know, just help me. I want to be clear. Number one, God ordained government. Number two, government has a biblical purpose. Number three, here's statement number three. We are to submit to government. Now, just, you know, before you just write me off as a FEMA pastor, okay, and start sending your emails and making your comments, just listen to the entire sermon, all right? The Bible teaches that we are to submit to government. And I'll just give you a hint. We're not supposed to submit to everything, but there is an idea that we are to submit to government. Romans 13, look at verse 1 again. Let every soul be subject What does the word subject or submit mean? It means to come under the authority of. The word sub has the idea of coming under something, like a submarine goes underwater. He says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. We are to bring ourselves under the authority of government. Again, we are not anarchists. We're not going to set up some, you know, military uh, militia to go overthrow the government. No, the Bible says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, the powers that be ordained of God. Notice verse 2, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. He says, look, you shouldn't be resisting government. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So the Bible teaches that we are to submit to government, to an extent. You say, why? Because God ordained government. You say, why? Because there is a biblical purpose of government. Now, it's not the public school education system. It's not the welfare system. It's not all those things. But there is, there is a purpose to government. Go to the book of Titus, if you would. Titus uh, chapter number 3. So if you find all the T books, they're all clustered together. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, towards the end of the New Testament. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. Titus chapter number 3. This is, a, this is an idea that is taught throughout Scripture. That we are to submit to government. Titus chapter 3, look at verse 1. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities. Here, Paul is telling Titus, a preacher, and he's telling him, hey, there's some things you need to teach your church people. Pastor, why are you, why are you preaching these sermons? Because the Bible actually tells me as a preacher that there are some things that I need to put in your mind. Teach you from the Bible. Put them in mind. Why do I put them in mind, Paul? What do you want me to do as a preacher? Put them in mind to be subject to principalities. The word principality is talking about, again, a political leader. Principality comes from the same uh, root word where we get the word like prince. It's talking about a political leader. That's why the ruler, it talks about principalities in that uh, verse in Ephesians 6 about the rulers of darkness of this world. He says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates What's a magistrate? It's a government leader, someone who makes laws and ordains laws, uh, to be ready to every good work. Notice, Paul says, hey, we need to be subject to principalities and powers. We need to obey magistrates. We are to submit to 
a government. Go to the book of Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 5. If you kept your place in Romans, and we're going to come back to Romans, so keep your place there. Before Romans, you have the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5. And like I said, this is kind of a theology <coughs> a lesson. Number one, God ordained government. Number two, government has a biblical purpose. It is to protect and to punish. To protect the people, to punish the evildoer. Number three, we are to submit to government. Now some of you are thinking, wait a minute, I thought this sermon was called Christian Civil Disobedience. Pastor, I thought you were going to tell me, you know, when can we finally start riding? You know, when can we start, you know, taking up arms? All right? Well, before we can get to the disobedience, we need to understand when we need to obey. All right? Number one, God ordained government. Why should we obey? Because God ordained government. Why should we ordain? Because government has a biblical purpose. Why should we obey? Because God actually tells us to submit to the higher powers. We are to submit to government. Here's statement number four. And we'll spend our majority of the sermon on this statement. Number four, we should disobey when government asks us to sin. We should disobey when government asks us to sin. Are you there in Acts chapter 5? Look at verse 28. This is a quintessential passage on this subject, but we're going to look at lots of them this morning. Acts chapter 5 and verse 28, the Bible says, saying, and by the way, these, these are the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the, the council meeting together um, with, against the apostles in the New Testament, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So here you have the political, religious authorities saying, We commanded you to not teach in this name. Well, here's the problem with that. If the uh, apostles were to submit to that command, to that law, that would be a sin. Because God commanded them, Jesus commanded them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So they're saying, hey, well, we, we have a law. We commanded you not to teach in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Notice verse 29. Then Peter and the apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. See, there is an authority structure. There's an authority structure. And above government is God. In fact, it is God who ordained government. So when government and God are at odds with each other, are in conflict with each other, God wins every time. We obey God rather than men. Now, please understand this. Please understand this. Most conservative Christians, political-type Christians, they love the we ought to obey God rather than men. The only problem that I have with that is that they, obey, they, 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 they bring that out for everything. Everything the government says, we ought to obey God rather than men. The government says, you should put a mask on, you know, when you go into this building or whatever. And they're like, yeah, we ought to obey God rather than men. Well, and look, I don't like masks either. I get it. They're annoying. We, we, and I think there's a purpose for them and there's a use for them uh, in, in, in certain situations. But, but, you know, that's not a sin. Do you understand that? You say, when do we disobey government? We disobey government. Government asks us to sin. Other than that, we submit to everything the government says. So before you go and start protesting and start getting your militia together, you got to ask yourself, is the government asking us to sin? And from time to time, the government does ask us to sin, so we disobey. Other than that, we submit. Because we should submit to government, and we should only disobey when government asks us to sin. Go to the book of Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4, you got Acts uh, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians, and then I want you to get Colossians, all right? We're going to compare just a couple of, of things here. Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, then you have Philippians, Colossians. Get to Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and then you have Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians 5. Now, I'm going to give you an example that, that doesn't have to do with government, but let me just remind you, Remember that God instituted three institutions. He ordained three institutions. The family, the church, and the government. Now I'm going to give you an example from the family, and then I'm going to prove it to you using examples in regards to government. But I, I'm going to show it to you from the family, but I want you to understand that the authority structure is the same in all of these. 
God only has one authority structure. You say, what is it? When God has given you, when there is a God-given authority, look, it's not that complicated. Here's how it works. You obey in everything unless they ask you to sin. Okay, so here's an example. Ephesians 5, verse 24. Therefore, as this church is subject unto Christ, so notice, notice how he's saying, he's about to give us an example of the family, but he says this is also how the church works, this is also how the government works, because all of God's institutions all work the same. Do you understand that? Ephesians 5, 24. Therefore, as this church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands, notice these two words, in everything. The Bible teaches, and I understand this is not popular today, but most of the things I preach are not popular, so, you know, what's, what's the difference? But the Bible teaches that wives are, be, are to submit to their husbands in everything. That means that, look, when you, and by the way, ladies, this is why it's very important who you choose to marry. That he's a jerk. Well, nobody made you marry him. But once you're married to him, you are to be subject in everything. Everything means all things. Whatever your husband wants, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. Now, let, let me just say this. Husbands, if you're, if you're not an idiot, you, you would, uh, you know, realize that God gave you a wife to be a helpmate, that God has given wives wisdom and intuition, and, and you would consult your wife, and you would respect her opinion, and you would want to uh, get her thoughts. Look, and there are some things, guys, let me just help you. There's some things that, that it's just, it, who cares? Why fight about how your wife wants to decorate the kitchen? Are you, are you cooking? I mean, if you're cooking, then I guess, you know, but if she's cooking, why would I care? If she's doing all the cooking, why would I care? Okay, so just a little marriage counseling there, right? Well, I have the authority. Okay, you do have the authority, but don't be an idiot. But, you know, at the end of the day, though, at the end of the day, husband, you're the authority. There does come a point where you've got to make a decision and, and, and God is going to hold you accountable, Adam. Notice, who takes the blame? Eve, I always thought it was Eve eats of the fruit, gives it to her husband, and for the rest of the Bible, we're talking about one man sinned, Adam. Adam brought sin into the world. Ad, you know, you were in Adam. It's like, what, 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 we were, how about Eve? Well, Adam's a boss. He's the authority. He's the head. He's the leader. He's the one that God holds responsible. So the Bible says, therefore, as this church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Keep, keep your place in Ephesians because we're going to flip right back to it. You say, oh, okay, well, I just have to do everything he says. Well, there is one caveat. Colossians 3 verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Then notice these words. As it is fit in the Lord. So you say, he's got all authority. Yes, he does. But there's a limit to that authority. And it, the limit is, as it is fit in the Lord. So he can, look, as long as your husband's not asking you to sin, you should obey him in everything. You say, when do I cross, when do we cross the line where I can disobey my husband because I just really want to disobey him? Okay, well, when he asks you to sin, that's not, when it's no longer fit in the Lord, then you don't have to submit. So when your husband asks you to bury, or help him bury a body, you know, you're like, hey, sorry, I don't have to submit in that. When your husband asks you to help him run a heroin ring, you know, you don't have to submit there. All right, do you understand that? When your husband asks you, uh, to, to, to make a mistake and, and you want to make him hamburger helper, then you just submit. Now, here's the thing, husband. Give him money for the steak. All right? So, but, you know, in everything, in everything, you are to submit as it is fit in the Lord. Does that make sense? Are you there, there in Colossians 3? Look at verse 20. Let's look at another example. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Children are under the authority of their parents, and children should obey their parents in all things. In all things. In all things. Some of you guys should have said amen there, but whatever. <laughs> Ephesians 6, go to it. Children are to obey their parents in all things. Ephesians 6, verse 1, notice what the Bible says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. So you obey your parents in all things, kids, in the Lord. As soon as your parents ask you to do something that's not a, that's not, that goes against God, you don't have to obey. You understand that? This is how authority works. 
There is a structure to authority. So why do I have to weigh my parents at all? Because God ordained your parents. God gave you the parents. He gave you that authority. You submit to them in everything as it is fit in the Lord. You submit to your husband in everything as it is fit in the Lord. You submit to your parents in everything in the Lord. You say, what about government? You submit to everything. Because God ordained government. We submit to everything in the Lord as it is fit in the Lord. When they cross the line and it's no longer fit in the Lord, then we ought to obey God rather than men. See, God ordained government. Government has a biblical purpose. We are to submit to government, and we should only disobey government when government asks us to sin. Now, let me give you some examples of this played out in Scripture. Go to the book of Exodus, if you would. Exodus chapter 1. You have Genesis and Exodus. Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. We are to obey government until the moment and up to the moment when government asks us to sin. What is sin? The Bible tells us sin is a transgression of the law, God's law. So when God gives us a law and government gives us a law that goes against the laws of God, we go with the laws of God every time. Exodus chapter 1. Let me give you some examples of this. Verse 15. And these are not family examples. These are government examples. Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrews, to the Hebrew midwives. And by the way, let me just say this. And again, I'm, I'm kind of giving you a little bit of a sermon from a couple of weeks from now. But pe- people get this idea like, well, if it's a wicked government, government, then we don't have to obey that government. Well, let me ask you a question. Was Pharaoh wicked? Because Romans tells us he was a reprobate. And Exodus tells us that God raised up Pharaoh. So... God ordained Pharaoh. In fact, the Bible says that God raised him up because he needed a reprobate to, that wasn't going to obey and listen so that he can have the ten plagues. And again, that's a sermon for another day. But I'm just telling you, all governments are ordained by God. Exodus 1.15, And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was uh, Shiphra, and the name of the other Pua. And he said... When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then, ye, then she shall live. So here you have the government, Pharaoh, telling the midwives, who are the ones that are delivering the babies, to sin. Thou shalt not kill is a command of God. And he's saying, look, if it's a son, I want you to kill him. And if it's a daughter, then let her live. So the midwives have a decision to make. What did they decide? Well, they decided, same thing Peter decided, we ought to obey God rather than men. Notice verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. They disobeyed their government. Well, how did God feel about it? Well, look at verse 20. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. Look, they disobeyed their government, and God was happy about it. You say, well, this is a contradiction of Scripture, because the Bible says we are to submit to government. No, the Bible says we submit to government up to the point when government asks us to sin. And when government asks us to sin, then we obey God rather than men. So look, the midwives should have done everything. That Pharaoh asked them to do. But the minute, go to Daniel, if you would, and towards the end of the uh, uh, Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. But the minute that Pharaoh asked them to sin, now the midwives have the duty to disobey. Because we ought to obey God rather than men. Go to Daniel chapter 3. Let me give you another example. Daniel chapter 3. Look at verse 16. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. Now this is King Nebuchadnezzar. He has built an image and he has ordered and commanded that everybody worship this image. The government has given a decree that they should worship this image. Well, here's the problem with that. The God's law say that thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images and thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them. So it would be a sin. God's law is in contradiction of Nebuchadnezzar's law. So what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? Well, the Bible says that they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, 
that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. What are they saying? Here's what they're saying. They're saying we ought to obey God rather than men. Now here's the interesting thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were princes in Babylon. The Bible actually says that Nebuchadnezzar said about these young men that he found them ten times better than anyone else. So I want you to understand, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not a bunch of revolutionaries. They were not a bunch of anarchists. They were actually good employees for Nebuchadnezzar. They had been raised up in the kingdom. They had submitted themselves to the powers that be. Look, these kids were kidnapped from their homes. And they said, well, you know, if this is where we're at, then we're just going to do the best with it. And they worked hard and they were promoted. But as soon as they were asked to sin, they said no. Because consistently in Scripture, consistently in Scripture, you find this concept that we as believers are to obey government up to the moment where government asks us to sin. Let me give you another example. Go to Daniel chapter 6. You're there in Daniel 3. Go to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, look at verse 5. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 5. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 5, the Bible says this, Then said these men, these are the men who want to attack Daniel. And by the way, this is a great testimony that Daniel has here as a believer. Notice what his enemies said. They said, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel. They're trying to dig up dirt on Daniel. They're like, we can't find anything bad about Daniel. We're not going to be able to get Daniel fired. We can't find anything bad about Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. They said, you know what? We can't find anything bad about Daniel, but here's what we can, what we know that we can find something against him concerning the law of his God because he's not going to disobey the law of his God. So what did they do? They crafted a plan. They got the king to sign it where it was made illegal to pray. Now here's the problem with that. God commands us to pray. So Daniel chapter 6 verse 7, uh, excuse me, verse 10, Daniel 6, 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, the law was passed against prayer, he went into his house and his windows being opened, in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. By the way, Daniel was not being a braggart or a show-off or a grandstanding here. This is how he always prayed. Said, Daniel, why don't you just shut the window? Because if, if, you have a, if people know you pray, they see you pray, you have a window open, and then they pass a law and, and he shuts the window, they're going to they're gonna know Number one, that he's praying, so he's still breaking the law. And number two, that he says, I'm not going to be a coward about this. Here's what he's saying. We're going to obey God rather than men. So he opened up his windows and he did what he always did. He prayed before God. He got thrown in the lines then as a result. God saved him and rescued him. But the point is this. Throughout the Bible, go to the book of Matthew, if you would, Matthew chapter 5. Throughout the Bible, you see that Christians, believers, submit to their government up until the point that government asks us to sin. Look, it's not that complicated. I remember years ago, in fact, you know, for many years, and, and look, I'm, I'm preaching a series right now. As soon as we're done with the series, we're going to move on to something else. Okay, this is not the new me, Mr. Political. Okay, it's just a series, all right, we're doing. But, you know, for many years, I'll be honest with you, I avoided, I avoided the, the, the concept of politics because I would listen you know, I, I would listen to these, 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 these libertarian, conservative, Christian you know, type people, and I was just confused. I mean, I'm, I'm like trying to like get them to help me understand Romans 13. I'm trying to understand, you know, like these laws and liberty and the founding fathers. And it was just so confusing to me because it was like, you know, will you obey when the government's righteous, but you don't obey when the government's unrighteous? There's all these ways of figuring out is the government righteous, is the government not righteous, is this, is that. It was just, I was just confused by it. Just didn't make any sense to me. Finally, I just decided to shut off YouTube and just read the Bible. What does the Bible actually say? It's interesting when you read the Bible and you realize it's not that complicated. <clears throat> you obey government until the government asks you to do something that's a sin, then you don't. And by the way, this concept works in any government. In every government. But well, what if, what if you grow up in uh, Nazi Germany? Well, if you're in Nazi Germany, you say, what do you do? Well, you submit to government up until the point government asks you to sin. 
So if Hitler says, hey, I want you to drive 25 miles an hour down the street, you drive 25 miles down that street. If Hitler says, I want you to put all these body, these living people in an oven, you say, uh, no. It's not that complicated. You say, how, how, do, how do I live under a communist regime? How do I live under Saddam Hussein? How do I live under the United States of America government? How do I, look, how do you live under any government, under every government? It's not that complicated. You submit till they ask you to sin. When they ask you to sin, you say no. We have to, you don't want me to pray? I'm going to keep praying. You don't want me to go soul I'm going to keep soul You don't want me to read the Bible? I'm going to keep reading the Bible. You don't want me to go to church? I'm going to keep going to church. You don't want me to serve God and walk with God and love God? I'm going to keep doing all those things. But everything else, fine. No problem. I realize this is not exciting. Pastor, I thought we were all going to get behind a pickup truck with our rifles. And have a militia. You're crazy, man. We obey government until government asks us to sin. And this model works everywhere. And look, let me go ahead and give you an illustration. This is an illustration people aren't going to like, and I get it. People are going to send me emails or whatever. So why do you always say people that send you emails? Because here's what I've noticed. When I don't say it, I get the emails. When I do say it, people are like, ah, bad, bad, bad. <laughs> When I don't say it, they put the comments. When I say, don't put your comment, then they're like, ah, fine. Called me out. <clears throat> you know, let me give you an example. Right now, there's a big deal going on with churches. As far as church, some churches are being forced to meet outside. And, and honestly, I, I think the tier we're in here in Sacramento, that's not even a thing for us right now. But you know, I'll tell you this. I don't want to meet outside. I want to meet inside. We pay thousands of dollars every you know, month for this building, and I, I want to use it. And, and I will tell you this. I'm not going to volunteer to meet outside. Just because Gavin Newsom says whatever Gavin Newsom says, I'm going to be like, okay, well, I'll just do whatever you want, Gavin. You know, my position is more of like, uh, you know, I'd rather, uh, I'd rather um, you know, ask, you know, say sorry than ask for permission. But, but here's the thing, though. And I just, and this is the part people aren't going to like. If, if the government, and nobody's asked us to meet outside, nobody said anything to us. <clears throat> but if the government <clears throat> showed up and said, you guys must meet outside, if they put a target on us and say, you must meet outside, You're, you, know, we're, you, you, have to, uh, you can't be in the building. You say, Pastor, what would you do? I would meet outside. You're a coward! It's, it's funny how, you know, people who don't take any stands, don't take any positions, don't fight any battles, always want to tell you how you're a coward and you're a FEMA, Pastor. Say, You've co- you a coward am to the government? You know, some guy running a YouTube channel with three views. <laughs> you would cower down to the government? Well, here's the question I have for you. Is meeting outside a sin? Let me, let me, let me mess you up with, with Bible. Church is not a building. The church are the people. The church is the congregation. We've made too much of buildings, excuse me. Baptist churches today are worshiping their buildings paying homage to their building. Look, I don't want to meet outside. I'm not going to volunteer to meet outside. I don't want to meet outside. I'm going to make them, you know, give me warning after warning after warning before we meet outside. But you know, at the end of the day, if if, if it's a big deal, we're going to meet outside because here's the thing. It's not a sin to meet outside. We can have church outside. So I'm not going to die on that hill. Do you understand that? Because I'm not going to die for something that the Bible doesn't even say. God doesn't even say we have to meet in a building. Now you say, well, well, yeah, but what if they say you can't have church at all? But do you understand that saying you can't have church at all and you can have church outside are two different things? You say, what if they said you can't have church at all? Then we're going to have church. But let me let you know a little secret. When the government says we can't have a church at all, you know, we're probably going to be meeting outside. <laughs> we're probably not going to be meeting in a, in a building that said, with a sign that says Verity Baptist Church. The, the point is this. Look, it, it's not complicated. Well, what if they mandate vaccines? Well, you know what? I believe vaccines are a sin, and I'm going to obey God rather than men. What if they mandate you, you know, putting your kids in a public school uh, system? Well, I don't think that's of God. I'm going to obey. I'll die on that hill. If it's actually a sin, I'll die on that. But if it's not a sin, if, if it's not a sin to meet outside, if it's not a sin to what, do whatever they're asking, maybe it's inconvenient, maybe it's annoying, maybe it's stupid, but if it's not a sin then the Bible says you just submit. And by the way, 
My parents are idiots. They make me do the stupidest things. Well, if it's not a sin, they make me, you know, uh, go rake the leaves, not using a rake, but using a push broom. And I don't know why my dad just, he's like, just wants me to use a push broom. And it's like, we have a rake right there. Look, you obey. My dad's an idiot. You obey. Did you send that? My dad wants me to sell marijuana. That you weigh God rather than men. It's not complicated. My husband's an idiot. I know. You just obey. When he asks you to sin, you don't obey. My boss wants me to. If whatever he wants you to do, you do it. You be a good employee and you just do it. When he asks you to sin, when he asks you to lie, when he asks you to fudge the numbers, when he asks you to take a call and say something that's not true, then you obey God rather than men. It's not complicated, folks. God ordained government. God ordained authority. Government has biblical purpose. We submit to government. We should obey government until and up to the point when government asks us to sin. And I realize, look, and I'm not trying to pick a fight or whatever. I realize people want to make all these live streams about coronavirus and the mask and Walmart won't let me walk in without a mask. But look, is it a sin? You got to ask the, answer the question, is it a sin? As soon as it's a sin, we obey God rather than men. As soon as it's a sin, we, we are willing to get thrown into the fiery furnace. As soon as it's a sin, we're willing to get thrown into the lion's den. As soon as it's a sin, we're willing to die and go to prison. As soon as it's a sin. Before that, you just submit and quit being such an anarchist. I said number one, God ordained government. Number two, government has a biblical purpose. Number three, we are to submit to government. Number four, we should disobey Government only when government asks us to sin. Number five. This is the last point. We'll, we'll finish up here, but I, that sounds like we're almost done. We're not almost done, but, you know, it's the last point. We're almost, almost done. We should not take the law into our own hands. This is something that we're often, churches like ours, are criticized about because we preach and teach things like the Old Testament. You know, and we'll say things like, hey, you want to know what God thinks about adultery? Just look at the Old Testament. You want to know what God thinks about homosexuality? Just read uh, Genesis 19. Just read Leviticus 18. Just read uh, Judges 19. You know, we, we preach this, and then people are like, oh, well, you're a hypocrite. Well, why don't you just go and do what the Bible says? Well, here's why. Because it's government's job to punish the evildoer. And in fact, the Bible tells us, Jesus taught, that we are not to take lo- the law into our own hands. Matthew 5, are you there? Look at verse 38. Matthew 5, 38. Let me prove this to you from Scripture. Here's an example of the eye for an eye statement. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, some false prophets will teach that Jesus here is criticizing this law. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is not true. This is actually a law of God. This is a command of God. You don't have to turn there, but in Exodus 21 and verse 24 and verse 25... This is what the book of Exodus says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. That was actually a law given to government. And by the way, I wish we had that law today. I mean, the law is this, that when you do something to someone, then that same thing should be done to you. If you kill someone, then you get put to death. You take somebody's eye out, then your eye gets taken out. You cut somebody's hand off, then your hand, you know, that's the principle. And by the way, I think a lot less violence would be done in our country if that was the law. You might think twice before some gangbanger wants to go beat some guy up with a bat if you're thinking, well, the cops might beat me down with a bat because we're going to do the same thing to you that you did to other people. I think that would do a lot to curb crime. This is biblical. I'm not against it. The law, look, the law of the Lord is perfect. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So people look at Jesus bringing this up, and they're like, oh, Jesus is criticizing. Jesus is not criticizing the Old Testament. He did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. You have heard, here's what Jesus is saying. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He didn't say, and that's wrong, and we shouldn't obey that, and we are more enlightened today. No, notice what he says, verse 39. But I say unto you, he's not talking to government here, he's talking to Bible-believing Christians. This is the Sermon on the Mount, preached to Christians. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you take the law into your own hands, you are not resisting evil. 
He says, but you should resist evil. This is not something that you should be doing. He says, here's what you should be doing in your personal life. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right hand, turn to him the other also. Uh, Smite thee on the right cheek, excuse me. Turn to him the other also. So look, personally, as a Bible-believing Christian, when somebody does me wrong, how should I respond? When somebody slaps me in my cheek, well, eye for an eye. No, no, that's government. Do you understand that? I mean, the Bible says that whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, to to him the other also. See, God says, look, we are supposed to suffer ourselves to be defrauded. We're supposed to love our enemies, bless them that curse us, pray for them that despitefully use us. He says, when somebody hurts you personally, you, you, like Jesus on the cross, you say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. But government, government has been set up to protect and punish. So government should protect you from getting slapped and getting your eye taken out and getting, you know, uh, uh, violently uh, assaulted. And they should also punish those who do those things. So Jesus is saying here, he's saying, look, you've heard an eye for an eye, and that's good, but not personally. You don't do that personally. That's a job for government. You say, well, I don't know about that. Okay, well, let me give you uh, an example where Jesus actually applied this in his life. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Because if you remember, Jesus lived under the Roman Empire. Jesus did not live under the Mosaic Law. So the ministry of Jesus in many ways mirrors our lives because Jesus, like you and I, lives under a government that doesn't acknowledge the laws of God as their laws. Rome had good laws and they had bad laws. So how does Jesus, how did Jesus you know, live under this non-biblical government, the Roman Empire. We can learn from that as to how we are to live under this non-biblical government, the United States of America. John chapter 8, look verse 3. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him, the him is Jesus, a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And I just brought this up in a sermon not too long ago, and I bring this up every time, you know, that we go to this passage. I always think it's interesting. They caught her in the very act, but they only bring the woman and not the man. What's that about? Look at verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Look, Moses in the law given to the children of Israel, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, put the death penalty on committing adultery. So they bring this woman caught in adultery, and they say to Jesus, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Saying, well, what do you think we should do? Now notice verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. Okay, the reason they brought, they don't actually care about justice. The reason they brought this situation to Jesus is because they wanted to catch him in his words, and here's why. There is no right answer to this question. There's no correct answer. Because if Jesus says, hey, you're right. The law of Moses says she be put to death. Let's stone her right now. They're not going to stone her. They, they, they don't care about justice. If they care about justice, they bring the guy too. They're just going to run over to the Roman uh, uh, soldiers and say, hey, that guy is causing us and telling us to follow laws against the law of Rome because Rome did not have that same law. That guy's inciting violence. That guy's telling us to break the law. Now, if Jesus said, no, don't stone her, the Roman Empire doesn't allow for that, then they run to all of Jesus' followers and say, this guy's telling us not to follow the laws of Moses. We brought him this woman and said, well, Moses' law says that she should be put dead, and he told us not to do it. See, there's no right answer to this question. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. And no matter what answer he gives, they'll have something to accuse him with. So what does Jesus do? This is, look, this is why you know, Jesus is God. You and I, we put our foot in our mouth all the time. Here's, a good, here's a, just a good lesson for you in life. You don't have to answer every question. And sometimes closing your mouth is just the best thing to do. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Look at verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin, 
among you. Let him first cast a stone at her. I want you to notice the answer that he gives. He says, look, if you're going to force me to answer the question, should we obey the laws of God or the laws of man? He says, I am going to give you an answer. The laws of God are always better than the laws of men. But he says, in this situation, the Roman Empire is our authority. And God has ordained it so. And we are to submit to that authority. We only disobey when the Roman Empire asks us to sin. But we don't take the laws of God into our own hands when the government fails to do so. He says, so it is right, it is right for her, to, for her to be stoned, but it's not right for you to do it. Because you are under the authority of the Roman Empire. He says, you do not outrank the Roman Empire. He says, it's right for government to do it, but the only person that can actually do it is someone who is over the authority of the Roman Empire. So he says, he that is without sin. Because only he that is without sin is over governments. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. He says, if you're going to push me for an answer, here's the answer. Yes, the laws of God are always better than the laws of men. But you better submit to the authorities that God has ordained in your life. And unless you're over the authority of government, which last time I checked, that was only God. The Lord is the God of heaven and earth, the Bible says. So he says, yeah, go ahead. He that is without sin, though. (laughs) He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Notice verse 8. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, being beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And by the way, I'm not preaching on this, but this is a beautiful picture of salvation. When they say, when one, one day we'll stand before God and, and, and Jesus will say, hath no man condemned thee? And by the grace of God we'll say, because of Jesus, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, notice, Neither do I condemn thee. The one that had the authority to condemn her. Neither do I condemn thee. Go. Notice, he doesn't, he doesn't justify her. He doesn't make excuses for her. He doesn't minimize her sin. He says, neither do I command thee. Go and sin no more. He says, don't, don't let this happen again, because next time I might not be here. Here's the idea, though. In this lesson, we learn that Jesus says, yes, the laws of God are better than the laws of men, But unless we have the authority to disobey the laws of man, we are not going to take the law into our own hands. You understand that? So you say, what do we do? When government sins, when government does wrong, we, we, you know, should government put all the, you know, have all these things and these laws? Should they do those things? Absolutely. When government sins, do we speak against it? Yes. Do we preach against it? Yes. If you remember from the sermon last week, our job is to rebuke nations and governments when they do wrong. But do we take the law into our own hands? No. And look, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus taught against it. But you say, well, when do we disobey? Only when government is asking you to sin. See, allowing the woman to live in adultery is not asking you to sin. If the government made a law that said you must commit adultery, then you obey God rather than men. The theology of government, the theology, what the Bible teaches about government is this. God ordained government. Government has a biblical purpose to protect and to punish. We are to submit to government. And we should only disobey government when government asks us to sin. And we should not take the law into our own hands. What is Christian civil disobedience? When we stand up on the authority of the word of God and say, We ought to obey God rather than man. But make sure, make sure when you say that, that you've got biblical proof to back up that what the law is asking you to do is actually a sin and not an inconvenience. It's actually a sin and not just annoying. 
is actually a sin and not just stupid. Because I will agree with you that our government does a lot of things that are silly, stupid, annoying, dumb. Gavin Newsom just put out a recommendation that you should put, you know, you should keep the mask on in between bites. They're idiots. I get it. I'm not mad at you for thinking they're idiots. I think they're idiots. But we disobey God rather than men when they ask us to sin. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the clarity of Scripture. Sometimes we listen to these Chuck Baldwin types, and it's just confusing. It's just confusing. What, what am I supposed to do here? And, Lord, I, I'm just thankful that when, when, we, when we cut everything out and we just read the Bible, it's clear. It's clear that you ordain government. It's clear that we're to submit to government. It's clear that we're only to disobey government and every other authority in our lives only when they ask us to sin. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to understand that and to live our lives in that, in that arena, in that understanding, in that theology. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.